0: Well, good morning, everyone. Isn't it great to have uh... somebody said something there? Well, thank you. Thank you. Wow. That was very nice of you to do that for me. Um, So many of you reached out to me yesterday on my birthday, which was amazing. Um, I said that to to people. I was like, I was overwhelmed yesterday a good kind of overwhelmed. It was just like uh, the text messages kept coming and posts on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. So thank you. I felt incredibly loved yesterday. And it was just my 54th birthday. It's just an, another day, right? But um, we said that today in the, in, the, in the meeting before we came out. They said happy birthday to me there. And I said, you know, I felt incredibly loved yesterday. And I said, it's one of those days that nobody points out any of your flaws. They just tell uh, <laughs> It's not that they don't know they're there, but they just choose not to expose them on that one day, which is wonderful, right, on your birthday. So um, anyway, thank you for that. That's very kind. Um, Isn't it great to have summer in the middle of April? Awesome. I was wearing my shorts yesterday for my walk, and it was like, this is crazy. On my birthday, I'm wearing shorts. Um, But anyway, let's keep it coming, right? Um, And isn't it a great time to be a sports fan in the city of Toronto? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, we're, we're grieving our Raptors. Uh, they, they didn't make it past the play-in, right? It was the play-in round, and they, they, just, they just didn't get there this year. But that's okay. Um, can't win them all. Uh, the Maple Leafs have been saying that for a few years. Can't win them all. But this year is going to be different, isn't it? It's going to be different. So here's what we're going to do. You might see a few Leaf jerseys around over the next few Sundays, right? But why don't we do this? Every time the Leafs stay in the playoffs, which I'm hoping will be multiple rounds this year, wear blue and white on Sunday morning. Will you do that? If you're a Montreal Canadian fan, just, sort of just say this one time, I'm just going to wear blue and white, and, and, and tie it to your faith uh, for the purposes of unity of the Spirit, I'm going to wear blue and white, um, yeah, but the Blue Jays, aren't they doing well, too? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go, a bunch of us, uh, June the 7th, uh, to watch the Jays play the World Series Champs, the Astros. You want to be a part of that, for sure. So stay tuned. There'll be some tickets available, and, and we'll get that information to you. But June the 7th, mark your calendar. It's a Wednesday. We hope to take 125 or more, maybe 150 this year, down to watch the Jays. So that's, that's happening. I feel like I'm just doing a bunch of visiting with you today. Uh, but wasn't Easter weekend so good? Yeah. Easter weekend was so good here. You know, we are, we're on the other side of this pandemic, which is so good. But they, there was like just under 1,000 people seated here, including our kids, on, on Sunday. They were into the lobby. And, and maybe for some, you've come back again this morning. So it's really good to have you. And, uh, but Easter was awesome. Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Um, And we have more and more young families joining our church family, which is really, really cool. So you've noticed probably in the parking lot, there are some young family parking stalls. Um, Sometimes people bring four or five children sometimes to church, right, Pastor Gary? (laughs) And um, Pastor Gary was very instrumental in making sure that there was some preferred parking for young families. Um, No, he wasn't. There was a conflict of interest, but... um, You know, you're unpacking strollers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we've got some parking out there for young families. And stay tuned, because in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be some places to park your strollers in the lobby, right? That's a sign of a healthy church when you have to have spots reserved for strollers. So, um, and there's some seating at the back as well. Stay tuned for some more more signing there or some more updates around uh, looking after our young families as well as we can. And those of you who are interested in going to Israel... Uh, We have a meeting on April the 30th. We're going to take a a, a group of people there for a a Holy Land tour. Um, Our uh, tour director is going to be here on the 30th, and we're going to have a meeting. It'll be a brief one right after the morning gathering, but the dates are February 13 to 22, 2024, okay? So that's on the 30th of April. You'll hear more in the next little while. So we're starting a new series. Uh, Lauren Alford, or Lauren Rogers, uh, does a great job with our um, sermon bumpers. And so you already saw a little bit of a preview of where we're going with this next series. Uh, We're going to talk about choosing shalom. There are some words uh, that are so rich when it comes to the original language uh, that it's important for us, whether it be in Hebrew or in Greek, to kind of um, parse it out a little bit. And shalom is one of those terms. In fact, I've been going back and forth with our, um, our contact around going to Israel, and he always signs off with shalom, shalom. So it, it's a greeting, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, loaded Hebrew term that I think we as Christians do very well to um, understand and, and choose to live out. Um, my daughter, one of my daughters went to uh, an art museum, um, uh, just a couple of days ago, and she came back with some stories to tell of what she saw, and there was some like 8th century art there, and uh, some beautiful crucifixion scenes that were, were there, that were done, you know, many, many, many years ago. But it reminded me a little bit about why the church keeps gathering. Um, the people of God who've put their saving faith in Jesus, we are always, always motivated by, number one, living wholeheartedly for the glory of God. And then on mission with Jesus in the world as the Holy Spirit inspires us and directs us. And, and we're also preoccupied with making sure that we um, share the gospel with the generation coming behind us. Um, we are part of a series of consecutive generations. Other generations were faithful to be witnesses. Uh, as the writer of Hebrews says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Well, we are also part of that great cloud. We are on this side of heaven for now, and we have a beautiful responsibility and privilege to continue by the way we live our lives, by the way we speak, conduct ourselves in the world as families, as neighbors, uh, just as participants in the human family, um, that we would be announcing over and over, declaring consistently that Jesus is King, and and that's what this uh, church is all about, is announcing and declaring that Jesus is King. And uh, so we get to be a part of that. We're invited into it, and it's a wonderful thing. And as we sign up to be a part of this Jesus community, shalom is to be our experience. And um, our friends from the Bible Project do such a great job. Uh, But just before we get to that, um, actually, let me find my notes here because I'm all over the place today, and that's all right. Um, Our friends from the Bible Project will help us in just a moment. But this is a really, really big idea for us that we'll take with us over the next few weeks. Um, I'll read it out. When we are at our best, right? Sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. But hopefully we're more at our best than not. When we are at our best, we glorify God. When we are at our best, we glorify God, which means that the glory of God is largely understood as the beauty and the goodness of God. When we're at our best, the beauty and the goodness of God is more obvious in our lives. It's a wonderful thing. It's part of one of the biggest reasons we're on the planet is to give glory to God. So when we're at our best, we glorify God. When we are not at our best, and unfortunately all of us have moments when we are not at our best, we diminish the glory of God that could be revealed in us. And that's not to produce any shame in anyone. It's just an invitation, I hope today by the Spirit, for us to say yes to being at our best. There are no perfect people, But being on the grow and hopefully progressively resembling the Lord Jesus more and more, we give more and more glory to God. We glorify him more fully in our lives. So as we talk about shalom and we get to choose it, sometimes we think it's something that happens to us from outside of ourselves. It's not necessarily exclusively something that happens to us from outside of ourselves only. There is an outside dynamic that comes, that changes us. But it's a choice we get to exercise, to choose shalom. So, if you're able today, would you stand with me? This is going to be our passage to ponder that we will take with us over the next um, four Sundays. And it's taken from John's Gospel, chapter 14. Now, those of you who are new to the Bible, um, Jesus spoke Aramaic, um, but the New Testament writers recorded uh, the Gospel accounts, including the epistles, in in Koine Greek. Um, And so there's a, a word that would be very comparable to Hebrew, where we get shalom, peace, um, it's called Rene, and it's uh, extrapolating the very same thing. You're going to see that word show up here twice in our passage to ponder. So here it is. Let's read this together, John 14, beginning in verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, The shalom of God, the irene of God. Uh, There is such an overwhelming need for us to experience the generous shalom of God uh, across all domains of our lives. And we're going to unpack that a little bit later this morning. But here's where the series is going. Today, we're going to talk about choosing spiritual health and wellness. We get to choose it. We're going to talk about choosing spiritual health and wellness. Next week, we're going to look at choosing relational connection and support, an aspect of shalom. We're going to choose forgiveness on week three, and then we're going to choose something that's very hard and extremely liberating called choosing radical acceptance. That's where this series is going, and I hope by the time we're done, there will be a greater measure of shalom that is understood and practiced in our own lives. So why don't we start today with what is shalom? If you're new to our church, I usually take about 30 minutes or so, and every now and then when I'm inspired, it might become 35 minutes or so, uh, just to unpack a teaching from the Bible. And so um, that's what we'll do again today. Uh, and it's not always me, there are teaching pastors who, who have teaching gifts, who make a contribution to the health of our church family as well. But we'll start by talking about what is shalom. So in Hebrew, right, that's the word shalom, in Greek, erene, I love the Bible Project. If you haven't found it yet, it's just the Bible Project or bibleproject.org, they do some tremendous work there of helping people understand the Bible, because it's not always an easy book to get our heads and our hearts around. Uh, here's what Dr. Tim Mackey says about shalom. It can refer to the absence of conflict. So if you're experiencing shalom, there can be the absence of conflict. But often refers to something better than just the absence of conflict. Something better than the absence of conflict in its place. It can mean complete or whole. So if we're experiencing completeness or wholeness, we're experiencing shalom. It can refer to a whole stone. So you have a stone in your hand, and there it is. It's one complete rock or stone. Um, With no cracks, there are no deficiencies, so to speak, in it. Or a completed stone wall with no missing bricks. Everything is in its rightful place. There is nothing missing. It can mean to reconcile or heal a broken relationship. If you're alienated to someone, shalom is about being reconciled to someone. And I love this part of it. When two rival nations experience shalom, they don't simply stop fighting. They start working together for each other's benefit. Isn't that good? So it's the Ukraine-Russia conflict where they don't just stop shooting at each other, but they actually put down their weapons. They reach out toward each other and say, how can we partner together to make our experience of life better. That's shalom. Can you see how we could use a little bit more shalom in our world? It's not just the absence of conflict in a marriage. You're always going to have a measure of conflict in relationships. But it's actually two people saying, let's partner together to make each other's experience of life better. It's not just... Um, putting the weapon down. It's actually reaching for each other and having each other's best interest in mind. Let me share a few passages of scripture with you that help us get at this idea of shalom that uh, Dr. Tim Mackey has has, uh, pointed us toward. In Job chapter 5, verse 24, Job writes, you will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find shalom is what it says in Hebrew. You will find shalom. Nothing missing. It's like a shepherd that goes and takes inventory of their flock. Everything is there. Everything is in its rightful place. Nothing is missing. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make shalom with them. That's what we just talked about. Between Ukraine and Russia, there is shalom between these warring parties. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 5. Absolutely love this. This is David's experience of shalom. When the Lord, uh, sorry, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup's not empty. My cup's not even half empty. My cup's not even full. My cup overflows. Have you ever had a moment in your life? I've had that. Yesterday was one of those moments for me where I just think, oh, God, could you be any more good to me in my life? Ever had that moment where you're in a sweet spot, and all of a sudden it's like, what did I ever do to deserve this? They're just blessing after blessing. It's like a tsunami of goodness just comes to you. Now, there are other moments in our lives when we say, could anything else go wrong in my life right about now, right? Maybe that's where you are today. There are ebbs and flows, seasons in our lives. It's never just one dimensional. There are hard seasons in our lives. So not to be ignored, not to be minimized. But there are these moments. David had great complaint on occasion. You read Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? That was part of his experience too. But in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. When we're experiencing the shalom of God, we realize that our cup is overflowing. We have not just enough. We have more than enough. This is the idea of shalom. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. Will be fuel for the fire. Time to stop the conflict. And then here's the prophet. For to us a child is born. We recite this during the Advent season. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of shalom. Messiah Jesus comes as the prince of shalom and his rule has no end. The everlasting father, right? Puts away the human infighting. There's times we just look at the world around us and we go, oh God, we need your help with what's going on all around us. The way we treat one another from time to time, we've lost the plot. We're far from Eden And we need the kingdom of God to come and to renovate and revolutionize our own minds and hearts so that we can live well and and serve each other the way we were intended to. Um, Two more passages. This is a New Testament idea as well. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes, since we have been justified just as if I'd never sinned, justified through faith, we have irene, we have peace, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you and I end up experiencing peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not based on all the good things we do or the evil we avoid, but through Jesus and our saving faith in Him. And then finally, Jesus in the great Sermon on the Mount, he says this Blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, even though it's good to keep the peace. The peacemakers. They step into places where there's the absence of shalom and they bring it. They're shalom bringers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Jesus, Messiah Jesus, is the Prince of Shalom. And we also, when we bring shalom to our world, we become a little bit more like Jesus. So, already mentioned today, it can take the form of a greeting Uh, When I talk with uh, Jewish people, often it's a shalom conversation, uh, whether it be a text exchange or an an email, and just love it. I know exactly what they're saying to me, and I say it right back to them. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful greeting. Uh, Again, it's about having enough, more than enough. I am not a prosperity gospel teacher. Can I go public and declare that for a moment? I do not believe that there is a universal principle that once you choose to follow Jesus, that you'll never be sick, that you'll never lose your job, that you'll never stumble upon hard times. You can have strong, outrageously intense faith and still have intense trouble and hardship and difficulty. I am not a prosperity teacher. Can I just put an exclamation mark behind that? I really do believe, by the way, that that's a bad theology. It's a bad doctrine. And when you buy into that, you know what ends up happening. You get discouraged and disappointed really fast because life doesn't deliver that. And by the way, if the prosperity gospel is true, it has to work everywhere, which is in Calcutta, India as well. Not just in the West where we're experiencing incredible measures of prosperity. So I do not buy into it. And in fact, I will adamantly resist it. Because it's a bad doctrine, it hurts people, it hurts churches, it hurts our witness in the world, okay? So, I'm glad that resonates with you. I'm glad that resonates with you today. Now, after I just said that, this is the tension we live in as Christians. Those of us who follow Jesus, we cannot be weak-minded. We have to be comfortable with living in the tension because... God does bring prosperity. Do you agree with that as well? It's not a law. It's not a name it and claim it gospel. But God is open handed. And he blesses. Like I just said. It's like could anything else go more right for me God. For a sweet spot. And then there's moments we say could anything else go more wrong. But both are part of our experience. Listen to what John writes. This is when scripture can be misunderstood, one passage and you build a whole theology on it, it's problematic. But John writes and says, Beloved, this is his relationship with the first century Christians. Beloved, I pray that in all respects, all respects, you may prosper. That you may prosper and be in good health, he says, just as your soul prospers. So we live in this tension I used to always teach young people when I was a youth pastor that we should never seek um, the gift, but the giver, right? There's, There's a difference. I don't look to the father for what's in his hand for me. I just reach for his hand. See the difference? I'm not coming to God for his gifts. I'm coming to God as a son to a father. Thanks be to God, my girls don't live in my home. Call me dad for what they can get. There wouldn't be much to get anyway, but you know what I mean, right? I'm not a means to an end for them. Thanks be to God, I am the end. Actually, uh, Bethany and Craig bought me these pants, and and Rodney bought me this shirt on my birthday, so here I am, right? I'm all decked out today. Um, If your family is functioning well, too, um, there's unconditional love and acceptance and regard, and everybody is moving toward each other out of love for who we are not for what we can get. So yes, God does choose to bless people. I do believe wealth comes from God. But I didn't sign up to serve him so he'd make me wealthy. I signed up to serve him because without him, I don't get another breath. I owe him my life. That's why I serve him. And so when he withholds things from me, I don't say, hey, I signed up for this. Where's, where's, the, where's the Mercedes? Where's the... Where's all the prosperity? Is that why you want to follow me, David? You're just looking for what I got in my hand for you? And this is really hard because I'm in good health today. Some of you, not so much. I don't serve him so that he'll keep me healthy. And if by chance one day, and it will likely happen unless Jesus comes for me before then, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to move towards the exit door of this life. My health will deteriorate. And I can't throw up my arms to God and say, how come you didn't? You owe me. I served you X amount. No, he doesn't owe me anything. The moment we start saying, you owe me, we have an upside down approach to God. Everything on the owing side of the ledger is on our part. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. Whoever's amening me over there, I love you. You're a good man. Yes. Okay, so shalom. Have you got an idea what shalom is? Right? Nothing's missing. Whole. There's completeness around it. There's enough, more than enough. There's no gaps or open spaces. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's two parties who are alienated now, partnering together, working together. It's beautiful. Beautiful word. All right, so number two, what is spiritual health and how do we know if we're healthy? Um, so much could be said about this subject, and I just have a few moments, so I'm just going to kind of touch on what I would consider to be the core aspect of it, okay? What does it mean for us to be healthy, and how do we know if we are from a spiritual perspective? Um, If we are spiritually healthy, there will be a, um, Jesus will be central in our lives. He won't be at the edges, he'll be at the center. And we'll be pursuing what, the early Christians called Christ-likeness. We will look to resemble him in his character. Uh, he will be the final authority in our lives. If Jesus says it, I'm in. And, and all the things that go with the journey of following Jesus closely, which includes gathering for worship, you know, reading scripture, offering prayers, being generous with each other, forgiving one another, all those things that are about learning to become more like Jesus in the world, All of that can be summed up with this big word, love. If you and I are not doing well at loving God, others, and this one gets missed often, and we're going to spend some time on this, ourselves. If we're not doing well at loving God, others, and self, then we are not doing very well in the spiritual domain of life. Spiritual health is primarily measured by our capacity to love. That's it. You can recite the Bible. You can gather seven days a week for worship. You can read the Bible cover to cover twice in a calendar year. If your love is small, 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 you have a lot of growing to do. Love is the chief ethic in the kingdom of God. And love is easy on your birthday when everybody is blessing you. right? It's so easy. Oh, love the world. I'm like Jesus for God. So love the world. So do I. I love the world. Incredibly. When everybody thinks you're the worst person on the planet. One of my mentors years ago said, Dave, everybody wants to be a servant in the kingdom of God until somebody treats you like one. (laughs) Lord, I want to be your servant. I want to serve the world. You start washing feet and people start treating you like you're serving. You say, I don't know if I like this. I want to sit at the table and have other people serve me. Love, 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 love. It is the key metric in the kingdom of God. How do you know if you're doing well? How well am I loving? Ask the people in your world, what is it like to be on the other side of me? That's a dangerous question to ask, by the way. Make sure you're fortified, you're well-fed, and then take a risk and ask somebody, say, what's it like to really be on the other side of me? And then sit down and wait for the answer. We have this idea in our minds, right, about what it's like to be in a relationship with me. Who wouldn't want to be in a relationship with Dave Larmer, right? I'm this, this, and this in my mind. And then somebody says, "Ah, that's not how I experience you. It's like, I think, well, what's wrong with you, right? What's it like to be on the other side of me? A beautiful question and a hard one to ask. The Shema, we referenced it already this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? With all your soul. With all, sorry, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. See the common word in there that's repeated? All, all, all. The Shema is the passage in the Older Testament. Jewish people, it's the most important one. Distinguishes them from all the neighboring nations, polytheistic uh, neighboring nations around them. The Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with your totality of your person, every part of who you are. It's called the Shema, To hear. Jesus, it's referred to as the Jesus Creed, he builds on it. What's the most important commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He says, with all your mind. All is repeated again. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Jesus is really saying, you cannot divorce these two. Love your neighbor. And the part that we leave behind often, which we're going to go after right now, as yourself. How well are you doing these days at loving you? The way I understand Jesus is he's actually saying if there's a deficiency with how you love you, there will be a deficiency on how you love neighbor and how you love God. And then I also believe it's how you love God that impacts how you love neighbor and how you love self. There's like a ebb and flow, back and forth between these two. The flow goes this way, the flow goes that way. Some of us in this room today have a really, really hard time loving ourselves. Because we've had a front row seat to all the failures, all the mistakes, all the weaknesses, all the shame, all the abuse, all the stuff that happened that we took onto to ourselves. We have a mental model or a frame about how we view ourselves, and we are always less than the person beside us. And the Father is looking to you today, and he's saying, I want to lift you from that broken, uninformed view of yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so what's this have to do with being spiritually healthy? I think a lot. I think it has an awful lot to do with being spiritually healthy. So shalom includes love for God, others, and self. And it could be argued, as I mentioned, that neighbor love is predicated by love for self. How do I know if I love me? You can be very self-absorbed, by the way, and still not love yourself very much. It might come across like you're in love with yourself, but you could be overcompensating for a lot of things. And deep down, you wonder really if you're acceptable or if you're good enough, if you've got what it takes. And so you persona, you project onto the world something that's not consistent with your authentic self. And then deep down, you have this imposter syndrome thing where you think to yourself, I don't know if I have what it takes deep down. If everybody really knew about me, would they they want to be around me? Jesus knows every dark part of your story and he wants to be around you. Does that not cause something to leap in your heart? He knows every regrettable moment, everything you've done that if we put it on the screens today, you would want to crawl under the chairs out to the back into the parking lot. And he says, I love you. You're mine. God is not interested in just a part of us. He's interested in us. I I, I didn't grow up grabbing that. I think I grew up thinking God was interested in my spiritual life, but not my whole life. God's interested in your emotional well being, He's interested in your physical well being, He's interested in your relational well being. He's interested in every facet of your life. Spirituality is about the total person of you. Jesus, by the way, is not just saving souls. He's saving people. Who you are, everything that you bring with you to life, he's interested in it. He's concerned about it. Remember, when we're at our best, we glorify God across all domains. When we're not at our best, we diminish the glory of God that could be revealed in us. All right, so... We're going to go pretty quickly because time is moving here, but I've got these five domains I want to bring to you. This is time for you to take an inventory. Across all domains, what I'm going to ask for you to do is, in your mind, maybe you've got a piece of paper, your phone, whatever it might be, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd be very curious. You're not going to tell me anyway, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing it for me. You're doing it for you. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being couldn't be any better and 0 couldn't be any worse, how are you doing across these five domains? Okay? This is consistent with the shalom of God for your life. Let's talk about the mind for a moment. How is your mental health right now? What can I do to improve my mental health right now? And to be clear, it's a cultural buzzword but it's so true and the church needs to maybe catch up to it. You know where I'm going with this. It's okay not to be okay. Could you say that with me nice and loud? It's okay not to be okay. I just said that in church. I thought I was supposed to have all my stuff together before I came. No, no, actually, no, you're not. And I got a headline for you. You're never going to have all your stuff together, ever. Well, why am I coming to church then? Well, you're better off being here than anywhere else. And hopefully your stuff is getting, you know, there's progressive aspects to this. But we're all in the process, with the help of the Spirit, getting our stuff together. Whatever that means, right? So your mental health, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at these days? Like right now, real time, in your mind. 10 couldn't be better, 0 couldn't be worse. By the way, if you need to talk to somebody about mental health, I'm advocating, and I'm actually out there in the community doing it, uh, I'm advocating that we will bring mental health into the church where spiritual and mental health and all the domains are seen as spiritual. So if you need to speak to somebody, our pastors are ready to meet with you. We have access to counselors. I actually have access to counselors. For those of you who may struggle with finances, talk to me. Okay? I got an inside track on some things that might be able to help you access some mental health supports, even if you struggle with finances. So the mind is the first one. Second one, body. How is your physical well-being right now? What can I do to contribute to my own personal physical well-being that I'm not doing now? What about eating nutritiously? How are you doing with that? Uh, what about sleep quality? How is your sleep? Anybody here struggle with sleep quality? A few of you are honest. I'm with you. Like, it's, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? I wake up in the middle of the night and sometimes it's like two hours later I'm still like this. It's real. Sometimes the stress, the anxiety, whatever it might be. Sometimes it just, our, our, our brains are active and it's like, whoop, there I am. Um, how much water do you drink these days? Pastor Dave, I came to hear about the Lord. Water. What are we talking about water for? As my friend... Never met him, but I'm going to spend time with him in heaven for sure. John Ortberg. He says the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is take a nap. Because you're exhausted. You know one of the most important things you can do is drink more water. My brain's all, I got brain fog going on, lots of stuff happening. Have you drank any water lately? No, I'll no, I only drink Coke, Pepsi, whatever. <laughs> drink more water. It's actually a really good way of looking after your body. Um, am I accessing harmful substances? Am I abusing substances in some way? It's gonna hurt my body. It's gonna impact my mental health. Right? On a scale of one to 10, where are you? All right, we'll keep going. Emotions. I've got three more for you. Emotions. What is my emotional state right now? Am I present to myself? And am I aware of what I'm experiencing in my body? Am I self aware, self regulated? Are my emotions driving my life? Or perhaps am I feeling numb? unsure of what I'm feeling, if someone was to come alongside you and say, what are you feeling right now? And you'd say, I don't know. Maybe there's a bit of a disconnect to your emotional state and how well you're doing there. All right, let's talk about spirit. Am I alive to my purpose? Is the meaning of my life crystal clear to me? Am I walking with God, living life with him? Or am I at war with God and his purposes for my life? What measure of personal freedom am I presently experiencing right now? Are there addictions and compulsions that are driving my life away from the life of God? Am I driven by rule-keeping rather than relationship with God? Where am I at? Scale of 0 to 10. And then the last one is relationships. What is the quality of my relationships presently? Am I experiencing relational connection? Or am I isolating myself, withdrawing from others? Do I reach for help when help is needed? Or do I offer help when help from others is required? Do I listen well to people, or am I preoccupied with myself? These are great questions, right? Other disciplines in society call it self-care and do so much better at it than maybe the church does because we've put it in the realm of not important. Almost like self-care was equated with selfish living. It's not the same thing. We should care for ourselves if we're going to be at our best and maximize the glory of God. Um, by the way we live our lives. Okay, we're going to land with this. Number three, impediments to shalom. What's getting in the way, right? What is it that's causing us to not be at our very best? I'm sure many of you can relate to this today. A crowded life. I'm sure if I was to ask for a show of hands, a crowded life is your experience more often than you wish was the case. Uh, Mary and Martha, these two women, if you're new to the Bible, uh, their sisters, one's in the kitchen doing all sorts of work. The other one is, appears to be goofing off, sitting with Jesus, listening to him talk about all sorts of important things. So here's the passage, Luke chapter 10. It won't be on the screen, unfortunately. I put it in there a little bit later. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called um, Mary who sat at the Lord's feet <laughs> listening to him. Um, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was busy in the kitchen. Lots going on. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I'm all alone in the kitchen making supper for you. And, and, and you know, Mary is just over here sort of goofing off. Martha, Martha, the Lord says. You're worried and upset about so many things, but only a few things are needed. Or indeed, he says, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's just in a bit of a tizzy, right? She's running around, worried about all the details of life, and she's got anxiety, she's stressed, she's feeling overwhelmed, she's flooded by the moment, the responsibilities, and Mary's just sitting still with Jesus. Jesus says she chose. She chose a better way. doesn't mean that the meal preparation is not important. There's a place to make the meal. But there's a place to sit with Jesus. And when we sit with Jesus first, we're probably better off to handle life when the stress has come. Martha couldn't see the forest for the trees. And Jesus had to remind her. So a crowded life. How do we uncrowd our lives? That's more art than science. But it's worth being intentional about if we're going to experience and choose shalom. All right, thinking patterns. Thinking patterns. Um, The way we think. Uh, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble. That first one, underline that in your mind. True. So many things about what we think about are not true. We think they're true, but they're not. Sometimes thoughts are just thoughts, but they're distorted thoughts. We pay attention to untrue thoughts far too often. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, Paul says, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of arenae, or peace, will be with you. Stinking thinking will rob you of peace. When you're thinking well, anchored in truth, Peace is far more accessible. All right, finally, here's the last one. This will rob you of shalom every day of the week. Unfinished business. Unfinished business. When you've got something unresolved in your heart and mind, and you know that there's a resolution in front of you that you need to move toward, and you put it off. Some people put off addressing unfinished business for years and decades, and relationships are just severed and there's cutoffs and all sorts of things that happen. And then somebody gets around and says, we need to talk. I need to deal with this. Something's wrong about me and how I've approached my relationship with you or whatever it might be. Unfinished business. Matthew 18. Here's my summary of it. The importance of walking together and rest- restoration of relationships is what in many ways the gospel is all about. It's a restorative movement. So if you have unfinished business in this place today, it's okay, because it's okay not to be okay. But the longer you live with unfinished business, the less experience of shalom you will have in this world. Matthew 18 is very clear that we ought to do whatever we can in our power to address whatever issues might be at play within us or around us. Remember this one. And this is for the one who's done their part already. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you, sometimes you do everything you can and you still are not living at peace with others. Well, that's no longer on you. That unfinished business thing has been largely resolved. You've brought it to God. You've brought it to other people. As much as it depends on you, you're working on it. And so there's no shame and no guilt. And you walk freely in the world. We need to walk freely. Our hands are clean. Our hearts are pure, and we're ready to receive all the shalom of God. Life in this world is hard. When we don't deal with our stuff, it's harder. It really is. All right, well, shalom, brothers and sisters. Shalom. Greetings and salutations, they say in the New Testament. The Older Testament, may the Lord bless you and keep you, right? Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you turn His loving countenance towards you and give you shalom. Shalom. All right. Lord Jesus, You are the Prince of Peace. There are troubled waters around us. There are troubled waters within us. And You are the one who speaks to the wind and the waves. And You say, Be quiet. Lord, would you speak to the troubled waters around us today? Would you speak to the troubled waters within us today? Would you cause a calmness to emerge in the face of some intense storms? May there be an equilibrium about our lives that the watching world observes and says, wow, that's that's unbelievable. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to deal with unfinished business, to take good care of ourselves, to recognize when the shalom of God has been generously poured out into us, not because we deserved it, but because you were gracious and kind, and help us to return thanksgiving always, in all circumstances, give thanks, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for the presence of God in this place today. I feel your presence, Lord, I felt your presence while we were singing. I don't always feel your presence, Lord, but I do today. And when I don't feel your presence, it doesn't mean you're not here. You are here. And sometimes it means that there's all sorts of troubled waters within me that I can't, I can't experience the goodness of God. Lord, for my brothers and sisters around me today, I pray you'd flood them. Flood them, Lord, with an awareness of how close you are. Lord, take them literally in your arms and hold them tight today and whisper to them that they are your children and they are forever loved and lord i feel this in my heart today over our church i pray that you would help us to continue to be faithful transmitting the gospel to the next generation i pray that you would help us lord to in word and in deed protect the gospel and share the gospel Protect the gospel and share the gospel. Help us to literally be people who are billboards of your grace and your mercy and your holiness and your love and your kindness and your goodness. And Lord, when we get it right and when we're living well, may you help us to maximize your glory, your beauty and your goodness to the world around us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.